Hey guys, Jack here. A few quick things. First of all, thank you to all who have entered our contest. Zach and I had a bit of a miscommunication. I said on the podcast that the contest would last one week. He wrote on the website two weeks. So uh, in the interest of anyone who thought they had two weeks and now hears that they only have one, we are going to extend the contest one more week. So just in case you missed last episode, uh, we want you guys to send us your very best hand histories. And if you enter the contest, which is uh, part of the hand history submission form, which can be found on our website, justhandspoker.com, if you submit a hand uh, and it's chosen as one of the most compelling hands, you can win one of two prizes. Our grand prize is a seat at our event with Greg Raymer. And both our grand prize and our second place prize include uh, coming on the podcast with Zach and I to discuss the hand. So all submissions are due at the end of Tuesday, the 25th. All right. On a personal note, uh, I'm planning on being at Parks Casino uh, this Friday or Saturday. I know some of you guys, that's like your main casino. Uh, I've never been there, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. And uh, if you want to meet up, just send me an email at jack at justhandspoker.com and hopefully uh, we can chat and you can share your reads a final note and an important note one that we should really mention more often uh, but please review us on iTunes and Google Play uh, if you like the show that's something you can do to support the podcast it helps our it helps us become more visible uh, in searches in those two directories uh, so thank you guys for listening and enjoy this episode Hey, Zach. Hey, Jack. And hey, John. The three of us are still here chatting about uh, a session that John and Zach played at a 2-5 game in Cleveland the other day. Uh, and John, you said there was another hand you wanted to talk about? Yeah, Zach. I want to talk about that Queen's hand uh, with the 4-bet preflop. Yeah, so this this was kind of an interesting spot. I think at this point we were like 6 or 7-handed. And this guy came and sat down one to my right. He's like a middle-aged Indian guy. I've played with him a bunch at PLO before. I don't think I've ever played No Limit with him. He plays very loose preflop and definitely the type of person to when he gets like below 200 at like a 1-2 PLO game, he's looking to limp-shove that stack and gamble it up. Um, and, you know, make make some bad calls with like second nut, third nut draws in PLO, but doesn't do it, doesn't do that type of stuff a crazy amount of the time. Uh, but yeah, I've never played with no limit with him. Um, but at this point, I think he raised the previous hand and two hands before that, you know, we're six handed and he's in the cutoff, makes it 20. Uh, and I have pocket Queens on the button and I think he's the effective stack here. I have about 1500 and he has a little over 1300. So I think this is a very clear three bet for value, pocket queens. So I make it a sixty-five on the button over his open, and there's no limps. What do you guys think of that? Yeah, no, sounds good. So yeah, I like airing on the side of three xing in position generally when three betting and four xing out of position. And in this case, being this deep, you know, I think there's an argument for bet for going a little bit bigger. Just because this is, I don't think, the type of guy who likes to fold to three bets. We also have a little bit of history at PLO, and he kind of thinks I'm like a pretty aggressive, you know, player. 
and you know we nothing has happened at this session yet i think this is only like his second orbit at the table but um definitely thinks i'm capable of three betting light so i think you know maybe in retrospect betting a, a little bit bigger uh with kind of my you know more premium hands would be kind of a, a nice exploit against this guy. Yeah, agreed. But in game, I made it sixty-five, and then the the kind of hyper laggy guy from last week. Uh, and for those of you that are just tuning in this week, this was a guy who was frequently, you know, even without limps, just opening to thirty, had a really big stack at him, and playing a lot of hands. And uh, John had a little more history with him, and apparently just barreling a lot and showed down a bluff or two. Um, and he pretty quickly cold calls, and at this point his stack is at 600. So he cold calls the 65 with another 600 behind. Um, and then it goes to the Indian guy, and he thinks for just like 10 seconds and makes it 210. So when he makes it 210 here, you know, I, I definitely think that his range is ahead of mine. I think he's playing all of his aces and kings this way. Uh... You know, likely his queens. I think some combos of his pairs of jacks. Uh, most of his combos of ace-king. And he's not going to be getting two out of line here. Okay, yeah. No, I agree. Jack? So I definitely think that all those hands are likely for him to be four-betting. Do you think it's possible that he might be even four-betting wider? Like, how do you think that this uh, this player's cold call of your three-bet is going to affect his four-betting range? Yeah, I think it could likely make him go a little bit wider. Like, maybe if he was on the fence with Jax, he'd be a lot more likely to do it with most of his combos of Jax. This doesn't strike me as a guy who's going to do it with 10s, though, just being this deep. What about Ace-Queen? I could see Ace-Queen being in the range sometimes. Anyway, I guess what we're getting at is that in position, uh, we should probably call Evaluate. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think this would be a much tougher decision out of position, but being this deep... You know, almost having set mining odds. Um, I think this is just like a very clear call, and to do anything but would be a major mistake. You know, five five bet folding would be a disaster. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, have, I mean, five bets have the question. We we could fold, but I think we should call. Yeah, unless we think it's likely that uh, the one thing that sometimes happens to me in these games where I make a call like this. And then the original cold caller like jams. Oh, I'd be very happy kind of calling fucked. this. I'd be very happy calling this guy's jam. Well, not that guy's jam, but if the then the other oh. over jams. Oh, then yeah, then yeah, I see. So, so that happens. That happens in player, PLO a lot, but not so much no limit to me. <laughs> if you think that player, you know, is going to be jamming a decent amount of the time, then that's evidence towards folding. Not necessarily because you're behind his range, but just because now you're probably going to have to put your whole stack in uh, against a range that you're not doing super well against. I don't think he's going to be jamming here a lot. Like I think a lot of the hands he would jam with, he probably would have just cold four bet himself. That's what you'd think. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> it's still possible, but like I don't, I yeah. I I guess I just I've seen too many times people like decide to like flat aces or kings or something in this spot and then once someone else four bets now it's like ah, all right we're gonna let's just put a shove in you know 
That that well, shit happens. And the, like the thing is, you, I'm I'm sure that happens a lot more at one three. This is two five, and this is like a pretty aggressive player. So, la, la, laggy players usually just kind of play their value hands kind of straightforward. You know. Right. Yeah. Still- no, I think that's I think that's also likely. I'm yeah. just I'm just putting it out there that sometimes you'll have opponents, and you know I'm gauging your opinion on whether or not this is one of those opponents, which it sounds like it's not. But sometimes you'll have opponents that you have to worry about sort of a call-shoving range uh, that can throw a wrench into your plans. Like that that happened to me in a slightly different situation the other day. But anyways, uh, I, I think calling is probably fine because I agree that against a very lackey player, it's likely that he's not going to have any value uh Call shoves, and if he doesn't have any value call shoves, then he's probably not going to be call shoving. Yeah, no, I think it's a pretty straightforward call too. Five betting is definitely an overplay, and folding in position when this deep is bad. So, yeah. Cool. So I called, and then the guy in the big blind pretty quickly called, and kind of like shrugged his shoulders. So I, I think when he does this, his range is like, you know. <laughs> Just like medium, medium pocket pairs, maybe a few lower pocket pairs, really very few other hands. I feel like this guy is probably gonna, knowing that I'm an aggressive player, uh, we, we, you know, this is the player from last week, and after that hand, me and him tangled a little bit more. So like, I think this is gonna be the guy who's you know four betting ace king. Um, I think maybe occasionally he would you know opt to play like a hand like ace queen or ace jack this way, but I think yeah. most of his range is gonna be the medium pocket pairs. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. I think I could see some ace, queen, or ace, jack. But yeah, I agree. Cool. So we get to the flop, and it is the deuce of clubs, the nine of spades, and the ace of clubs. And the first player checks. The second player, you know, looks like he's going to cut out a bet of around 200, and then it's checked to me. And to recap, you know, I have pocket queens. I call the four bet on the button, and there's about $675 in the pot. Do you have the Queen of Clubs? I do have the Queen of Clubs. Okay. So what do you what are you guys thinking here? Um well at the time I definitely put the in I mean I thought there was a very good chance the Indian guy had kings, um which would make me want to bet, although I would be concerned I mean you're pretty confident that uh the other the loose aggressive player never has or rarely has aces in his range here. Well, not rare. I mean, I guess ace-jack and ace-queen, but you're blocking ace-queen, so whatever, there's only... Yeah, I think I think most of his range is uh, is medium pocket pairs with some ace-jack and ace-queen. I also think that some of the time he might just weirdly overplay and, like, shove, you know, his stack on the flop because it'll he only has 400 behind. Uh, and just, like, you know, kind of donk-shove... His, his top pairs. And then I think the Indian yeah. guy, maybe a really small percentage of the time, has three aces here. But again, just combinatorically, it's very unlikely. And I think he will bet that those hands some of the time he's at the flush draw. Do you think that, given your history with the Indian guy, he's ever, and like the fact that he thinks you're at least somewhat aggressive, he's ever going to like get tricky with like ace-king here? Uh, Not really. Not not on a flush draw type board. I, I, I okay. think... I think that especially when he does kind of the physical tell of like cutting out a bet of 200 and, and checking, yeah. I think that lends itself towards like, you know, 
I have pocket kings, maybe I have pocket jacks or the one combo of queens, and I really don't, you know, want to face a bet, and I'm really mad that I four bet a good hand and an ace flopped. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, that that was my thought, too. Um, uh, yeah. So then I like, I mean, I like betting. I think I also like bluffing here. Um, but I'm not as confident that this player is never checking ace-king. Uh, just because, especially, I, I think against, if he puts any thought towards your guys' ranges, uh, and if you don't think he'll do, he will put any thought, and he'll just see two clubs and want, think like, okay, well now I have to bet. Because, you know, I have to pick my hand. That's one thing. But really with any minimal thought, he could realize that his hand doesn't need protection. Which is true. You you don't have any flush draws in your range. Um, and I might have I, some, but yeah, very few. No, I don't think so. I, don't, I mean, what would you have? The king queen of clubs. That would be one. Pretend, and I think you might fold that. Yeah, I probably. Would, yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay. So, and and the other player probably doesn't either. He might have a. He he's more likely to have, I think, a hand like king queen of clubs, but. Basically, this is not, not a draw-heavy board. There's very few draws, so I think that if this player realizes that, they might be likely to check ace-king to you in this spot. Uh, yeah, I, I think, again, this is like this is like a fairly... My, my history is this guy's at PLO, but he's definitely like one of the major spots when he plays PLO. And, yeah, I don't, I don't think... Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be thinking on this level. I think he's probably thinking in terms of range and like kind of a more general sense. But I think kind of just like basic instincts about like, you know, not getting drawn out on and, you know, being really deep and not wanting something to happen against this aggressive player is going to kind of override that. Yeah, I, I agree. So, I mean, I definitely, I think I, my personal thought based on what I've heard about this player is that he will be betting the fact vast majority of his aces and therefore uh his range is likely you know basically the pocket pairs that he had pre-flop which are either a set of aces now or are hands that i mean obviously we don't need to bluff this player off jacks but there's not a whole lot of value in keeping jacks around in the hand and there's a ton of value in getting kings to fold i think the fact that you have Queens is pretty important. Um, if you had jacks, then I think I would be a little bit more reluctant to bluff here because I think that you know the player in the blinds has a good amount of ace queen, but since you're blocking ace queen, I think it's a lot less likely. Uh, which then we already said that, but I mean, if we were holding jacks, then all of a sudden that ace queen becomes a lot more likely, and I think our bluff is a lot less profitable. So yeah. I think, given the fact that you're holding queens, uh, this player in front of you, their range is enough kings that are worth bluffing that I, th- I think it's just worth making like, you know, a, a, a bet of a size you think that this guy will hold kings to. Yeah, and that that's basically what I was thinking in game. I thought that. The player to my right, you know, a good amount of the time has kings. A really small percentage of the time has queens or jacks. And a pretty small percentage of the time he has, you know, 
three aces or an ace-king, ace-queen, and that the guy in the blinds likely has a worse pocket pair, uh, and a very small percentage of the time has a set of nines, um, a really small percentage of the time has ace-queen, maybe ace-jack, uh, but most of the time has a hand that can't really face a you know, a half pot, a little more than a half pot bet. So I, I opted about 345 into the pot of 675, um, thinking that, you know, most of the time I will get folds, which is way more than what I need for this bet to be a profitable bet. Yeah, and I'll let me just put a, throw a couple things out there. One, obviously we're bet, you know, folding. Mm-hmm. Two, the player who has a you know a stack similar size is ours. Uh, the other thing is that when this player, if they ever call with kings, I think that same player might be tempted to call with jacks, which you know makes the our so the success of our bluff is also you know the failure of our bluff is tied with a little bit of value for our hand. So I think that makes betting here a little bit more attractive we're definitely not value betting but when we when our bluff doesn't work we might get some value i'm not sure if that's necessarily true i think i'm not totally certain with this player because i mean i i have didn't play with him a ton and i mean didn't have the history zach had with him but i think like there's sort of this psychological thing or like phenomenon among like live low stakes uh nolan players where uh they just sort of become too attached to kings, like regardless of whether or not there's an, there's an ace, and they like kind of just want to call down. I mean, if if what you're saying is going to happen, they just want to call down and just like show how unlucky they got. And like with jacks, I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing this guy like getting sticky with jacks and calling down, and like you actually somehow making a sick value. But I don't. I don't know. It's yeah. possible. But I think it's unlikely. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with John about that. That like, I think the percentage of the time this guy calls with jacks is very, very low. I think that there's a, you know, just to redeem Jack's point a little bit is that I think the big blind does have jacks in their range here sometimes that they did an optical four bet, and a small percentage of the time they might feel like okay, I only have like basically this amount left, you know, 400 left, like this guy's been playing aggressive i'm just gonna stick it in here i think that's unlikely but definitely more likely from that player than from like a kind of a hero call from the deep stack guy with jacks uh that i don't think that's true yeah I don't um know. I agree with well, that well if you rem- if you remember for in terms of results what happened the guy tanked in the big blind for like a minute before folding oh really i don't remember and, that and okay. then and then the indian guy folded pretty quickly yeah. And so so to give the results to the listeners kind of a little bit early, the big blind had tens uh and was just complaining about how he gave away $200 to me like he shouldn't have even called the cold. He was really mad at himself for calling a three bet cold and then of course the four bet and was seriously con- considering sticking it in with tens there and the Indian guy pretty quickly folded the kings. And showed and put the and showed them face up. And then Zach says, that's what I put you on, and flashes the queens in his face. It was just, I mean, so sick. Well, very well played, Zach. Yeah. You could just see his character, or his, like, move, just, like, I mean, he was clearly, like, upset with himself. It was awesome. No, I do think it was well played. 
Um, I think you're being a little results oriented in terms of my arranging uh, the two players. I think had you not seen him tank with tens, you would not ever think that this player was going to call with jacks. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, I yeah, I guess that's kind of the definition of being results oriented. I'm taking and, the results of what happened and making that influence this range. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. I'll point out he didn't call anyway. And I also think that like yeah, this player. I think you can say the same thing. Like yeah, this player didn't call kings, so he was never calling jacks. But if this player did call kings, I think there's plenty of players who will see. Yeah, I think there's a couple levels that. You know, this guy could be at. He could be at the level where he has some sort of emotional attachment to kings that he doesn't have to jacks. And maybe when he does, he wouldn't call jacks. But I think there's also a level that's pretty likely where, you know, if he would call kings, he would call jacks for the same reasons that he decided to call kings. Uh, and then there's also a level where he realizes that kings is a much better hand to call with than jacks because we might be bluffing with a hand like queens. And we don't yeah. have very many other bluffs uh, in our range. Yeah, no, I mean that that's good. I I think just the one thing to add is that like I don't think he's forbetting all of his combos of jacks here. So combinatorically, he's just going to have less jacks here. But you know, I mean, we'll see. I think you know you're you're doing the the old in depth analysis this week, so I I look forward to kind of seeing what you come up with. Well, if you don't think he has very many jacks, then then uh, the preflop call starts looking a little bit worse. But but I do think he has plenty of jacks. I, I, I my my instinct was to give him about you know maybe half a little more than half of his combos of jacks. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all I'm saying is that like when you get called by kings, you're getting like you know potentially like a quarter to a half of that back. Yeah. From when he also decides to call you with his jacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Meaning the bluff has to work slightly less often against that player. That that's a good point, and that kind of like shows you know. You know, at, at the stakes we play, you know, range merging is not something that really makes sense to do. But this is kind of an example of like, you know, where, you know, where this concept comes into play. Do you want to elaborate on that for our listeners a little bit? Yeah. So like merging your range is when you make a bet where it's not clearly, you know, a value bet or a bluff where it's you know, sometimes a value bet against a portion of their range and sometimes a bluff against another portion of their range. And this is something you do to make it, you know, very hard for your opponent to play profitably against you and make them kind of indifferent to all the different options they have in front of them. Right. And, yeah, so in this case, a range of kings and jacks uh, has to play in a very specific way to be profitable. Uh if they fold their whole range or call their whole range, then, uh, you know, they won't be maximally profitable. And so you're putting them into that position with this bet yeah, uh, where it, they have to, it forces them to play, know, play extremely well. And, and, and it, it forces them to, to likely have to play, you know, some of their, um, the same hands differently sometimes, you know, like, Sometimes call and sometimes fold kings, and sometimes call and sometimes fold jacks to be maximally profitable against a merge bet for me. Well, it de- depends on what your your range is. I mean, like if your range is queens and he only has kings and jacks, then obviously he should always call with kings and never call with jacks. Of course, but it's uh, it's hard, you know, given what your whole bluff range looks like here. It, it's gonna be difficult for him to call correctly, and and he won't. Yeah. 
So I, th- I thought it was an interesting hand. And, uh, you know, as John said, I, I flash the queens at the table. Showing my hands is something I rarely do, but I like to do in specific scenarios, especially against, you know, um, people that I play with regularly. Yeah, just because I think it, you know, kind of like instills some type of a little bit of fear, a little bit of like, oh, wow, this guy is just really capable of like getting, you know, really just getting under my skin and knowing what I have, which I think will set myself up for, you know, profitable plays uh, in the future, whether in PLO or No Limit. Yeah, I also think not necessarily this is the kind of guy who was going to go on crazy tilt. He seemed, I don't know, relatively stable emotionally, but uh, this can be a great way to you know, piss some guy off and get him to start, you know, spewing off chips. So put him on tilt. Yeah, that was part of it. I, I didn't, again, I play with this guy. He doesn't, he doesn't really tilt. He's kind of just always like playing a decent amount too loose than he should be playing. Uh, but yeah, right. That's also an added benefit. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, John, thanks so much for coming on the podcast two weeks in a row. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah, guys, remember to check out, uh, you know, John has recently become a full-time professional, and he's documenting that journey on our website, justhandspoker.com. Uh, so every Sunday, you can see his post about, you know, what's going on. Uh, spoiler alert, he's doing awesome, but figure out why uh, by <laughs> reading. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.